Hello, and welcome to the Omemba Health Academy podcast, a podcast that highlights health and public health related issues and showcases health initiatives happening around the globe. My name is Quisha Umemba, the CEO and founder of Remember Health and the Remember Health Academy, and the host of the Remember Health Academy podcast. Welcome to episode three. It's December the 1st, and that means it's World AIDS Day. Today, our special guest, LaPortia Frazier, will discuss the work that she's doing at the AIDS Healthcare Foundation and provide some insight on initiatives that are taking place with her organization and around the globe. This is going to be a discussion you do not want to miss. So sit tight, buckle in, and get ready to be schooled because class is in session. So we have LaPortia Frazier with us. She's our special guest today. LaPortia Frazier is a native of Atlanta, Georgia, and a recent graduate from Mercer University's Master of Public Health program. Congratulations, LaPortia. She has years of experience in care coordination, and she has worked previously in the fields of oncology and infertility. She is passionate about healthcare, health education, and believes all people should be afforded quality healthcare, as do I. She currently serves as the Linkage to Care Specialist at the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, where she works diligently to educate the public on HIV and also works to encourage HIV-positive clients to start care. Welcome, LaPortia Frazier, to the AdMemba Health Academy podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> We're very, very glad to have you on World Health Day. I'm sorry, World AIDS Day. So first off, can you kind of tell us about uh, World AIDS Day and the purpose of this awareness? Okay, so World AIDS Day was started to um, make awareness to everyone about HIV, for us to remember those that we've lost to HIV, to encourage everyone to get tested, um, and to also continue the fight for us to eradicate um, HIV. Okay, so you work for um, what organization again? So I work for AIDS Healthcare Foundation. It's a nonprofit organization that was started in Los Angeles. Originally, before it became AIDS Healthcare Foundation, it was really a place for people who had AIDS to stay um, as they go throughout their illness. Um, so it was more like a terminal residence. But as time progressed, we got healthcare centers, pharmacies. Um, and so now it's become a worldwide organization, not just for us to take care of people as they're passing going through having HIV and going through the process of having AIDS. We're trying to stop it before they have oh AIDS. That's so, so, so it started out as a place where you go because you had this essentially HIV AIDS or HIV AIDS and HIV used to be a death sentence, I guess is how people would call it. And so it went from this place where right. you go because you're terminal and you have this disease and we know mm -hmm. you're going to die in a, you know X amount of time to now what you're saying is you offer more comprehensive care. Yes. Um, so now we have healthcare centers um, through worldwide. Like I said, we have in America, we have in the other countries. Oh, wow where clients can come in 
and um, they can see their doctor. The doctor specializes in HIV care. So if you're getting medicines and you're, you know, seeing your doctor regularly, then we're trying to lower that viral load. Therefore, you don't progress to AIDS. We don't have to worry about putting you in a place where you will stay to go through a terminal illness. Oh, wow, that's great. So you no longer have that, um, like that terminal residential care um, part of the of the organization anymore. It's it's just completely that that comprehensive healthcare services for people that are living with HIV and yes. AIDS. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And so at, so you are the linkage to care specialist. So let our listeners know exactly what that is and what that involves. Um, so I'm the linkage to care specialist for Atlanta. Um, we also have another linkage to care specialist in Atlanta who I work with very closely. So basically what happens is once someone is tested positive for HIV, I'm the next person they contact. Um, we work with our own mobile testers our own healthcare centers. We also have Out of the Closet. Out of the Closet is a thrift store where you can go thrifting and you can also do testing. We also work with other organizations that may test clients for HIV, or if they don't necessarily test clients for HIV, they may have substance abuse issues or homelessness and may, you know, let that person know, hey, I also have HIV. And we're definitely a place that are often recommended to people to go. So we try to get the clients in who are newly positive within 72 hours. Um, They'll see the healthcare provider, get the medications, get scheduled for their second appointment. And then at their second appointment, we consider them linked. Wow. Okay. And when you say you link them, is it, it's not necessarily just to services that are in-house, it's services throughout the community? Yes. So what happens is once you come in, like a lot of times clients may have issue with travel. Um, so that's something that we may can assist with, like getting your lift ride to your appointment under our linkage program. Um, somebody also may tell me, hey, I'm homeless. So then we send, we recommend other places or referrals they can go. We have clients who need assistance with oral care. So we have case management and different things in place that assist them with um, getting their health needs other than specifically HIV. So you ultimately have a whole person approach is what it sounds like, really addressing those those social determinants of health and those yes. other barriers that are ultimately going to affect whether or not they remain adherent in their in their regimen. Yes, yes, of course. A whole person, exactly. <laughs> okay. Which is the best way to treat people, um, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. how did you get started doing this type of work? Um, so actually, I started working with AHF in September after I received my um, Master's of Public Health degree from Mercer. I really wanted to make sure I get into the public health field. And I thought HIV would be a great field for me as I love interacting with people. Um, I'm passionate about helping people, you know, go through health issues and come out better. So once I got this opportunity, I was very excited and I'm enjoying every minute of it. And just for the listeners, I want to say that AHF stands for AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Um, so yes. were you personally affected by um, HIV AIDS or did you have any relatives or, or know anybody that, that has lived with this condition or, or died from this condition? Yes, I've had three relatives that have passed away from HIV. Um, I remember when I was younger, I had a cousin, she had HIV, but at the time I didn't know she had HIV and we was at my grandmother's house 
and she was sitting by the air conditioner. She was just coughing and looked like she had a cold. And I was just looking at her and I was like, why is she sitting by the air conditioner if she's sick? Like, why she don't sit on the couch? Um, but then I learned after her passing what was really going on. And so that made me very intrigued to, to find out how this virus affects people and their progression from HIV to AIDS. How unfortunate. And was she young, if I can ask? Was she younger, teenager, adult? At that time, no, she was older. At that time, she had to be about in her mid-40s. Okay. Now, was she aware of the diagnosis? She okay. was aware. Um, but during that time, of course, we didn't have the advancement and treatment that we have now. I think that's... Um, oh, I'm, okay, I'm sorry. Oh, so I was saying, I'm not sure how often she was going to her appointments or what medication she was on. Again, I was very young. Um, not sure if she even had insurance. I know she had children at the time who lost their mother at a very young age. So this made me like really want to get into HIV and learn more and assist people. And, and, and you said something important. I thought it was a good segue to the next question. You talked about how, you know, back then there wasn't the treatment and the care that we have now. Can you talk a little bit about how that has progressed? Because I know when I'm just talking to like colleagues and we're talking about HIV and AIDS, and, and that's not my specialty, of course, uh, in the public health arena. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have celebrities that, uh, and I'll say like Magic Johnson is probably one of the better known celebrities that came out with his diagnosis several years ago. That, um, you know, now if you, mm-hmm. you know, Google him or read about his diagnosis, it's like there's there's not even any AIDS or HIV that's even um, like it's no longer. It seems as if he doesn't have it anymore. And so what has changed in healthcare or in the medical field to where a person had a relatively short lifespan if they were given an AIDS or HIV diagnosis, you know, 20 years ago, but now can live to be, you know, I don't know how old you tell, you tell us. Um, so I think for one, we have um, advancements in medication. We have eliminated the pill burning, whereas in the past people may have, have taken multiple medications. Um, now people are down to taking oh, wow. one pill. Um, now we have PrEP you know, or Truvada, which can be taken um if you think that you may be exposed to HIV, you take it prior to HIV exposure. Um, PrEP stands for um, pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, we also have PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis, which is taken after within 72 hours of exposure of HIV. I feel like now that we have learned more, we're promoting testing more. Um, we're out in the community more, pulling people in to get tested and we're stopping it at the beginning. We're stopping it early. Uh, okay. So I want to make sure that our listeners got this. So we, we t- you talked about two drugs there. First of all, I'm just, I'm shocked that I love that you said we have, we eliminated the pill burden. And so as someone that, um, you know, as a nurse, I've provided care for individuals that have chronic diseases, um, multiple chronic diseases that always talk about, oh, I have too many pills or I can't remember, or, you know, that can really be a burden. Mm-hmm. If, if somebody has more than three pills, it's like, forget it. I'm not going to take any of them. And, and to eliminate mm-hmm. a pill burden, which I assume came in several different medications, you know, we're talking 10, 15, 20 years ago to just one pill a day. That's huge. That is 
so much yeah, more, yeah. you know, it's so much easier to remember. Um, it's not as discomforting as taking several, you know, big, big, huge horse pills, as people say. Um, but right. you talked <laughs> about a medication called PrEP or Ultra. Or, let me make sure I'm saying it right. Ultra, Ultra Vada, right? It's PrEP or Truvada. Oh, Truvada. Well, PrEP or Truvada. Okay. T- mm-hmm. So I just said both because some people know about Truvada and some people know okay. about PrEP. Um, but there's another medication that's um, PrEP that's not called Truvada, but that's just the two common names. Okay, that people so use. Um, PrEP is the one that you take if you think you've been exposed. So, for instance, I went out. Well, you'll take it prior, prior to, to exposure. exposure. So, okay. So, give us an example. If you're dating someone who has HIV um, and, you know, you may decide to have sexual intercourse with them, PrEP would be a good idea for you. Okay, so I just want to make sure the listeners hear this. So if you are dating someone or married to someone that has HIV uh, and decide to have sexual intercourse with that individual, then the medication that would help decrease the transmission of HIV AIDS is going to be PrEP. Correct? Okay. Yes. So now tell us about PEP mm-hmm. again. So PEP is for post-exposure. Um, so you would take that within 72 hours of being exposed to HIV. Okay. So that's you go out one night, you, you know, you're careless, you you really um you had fun or so you thought, and then you woke up the next morning and was like, what in the did I just do? Right, right. So PEP so is PEP your, is best, your best, best bet. So how how do you get PrEP or PEP? Um, you can go to, I believe you can go to the ER, you can go to the um, health department and they can assist with getting you those medications. Also, your own provider can assist health with that as well. Provider. And what was that first one that you said? The ER. ER. Okay. And do you know about the price point of these medications or would individuals be able to uh, get some type of assistance from a, a a government program that I don't know exactly. I'm not sure about the price okay. point. Um, yeah, okay. I'm not sure. That's about still that great information. You also talked about um, promoting testing. Um, basically, what did you? I think you said something to the effect of like pulling people out to test them or something like that. This is interesting to me because I know I hear a lot, especially in communities of color. I'm just going to speak for my community, but black people. I know a lot of times people will say, I'm not taking that test. I don't want to know. So how are mm-hmm. we overcoming that type of mentality and getting people to get tested, to, to know their numbers? Um, well, for one thing, like I said, you have to be out in the community. You have to be where the people are. So like with our mobile testing unit, we go to Walmart, we go to Kroger's, we go to you know, wherever we can, where we think there'll be a big population of people to test. Um, a lot of times you can encourage people to test by giving incentives. Um, if you can tell them, you know, even if you feel like you don't at risk, if you're not at risk, you know, what will it hurt to just find out? Um, sometimes you have to do a little talking, a little coaching. Um, and that's where you have to be passionate about it. If you really want people to test and know their status. Wow. So the World Health Organization statistics show there are about 23.3 million people that are on treatment for HIV uh, or that were by the end of 2018. Mm -hmm. And then globally, there's about 
37.9, almost 40 million people that are living with HIV. So, um, but that right. also means there's still 13 to 14 million people not in care. How can we get those people in care? Um, a lot of times those people are out of care because sometimes they're homeless. And I would say homeless people are hardest to track. Um, sometimes people are in care and they fall out of care. They think, okay, I take my medicine um, a few times. I should be good. They don't want to come back. Or when they do come back, they're really, really sick. So I know for me, like I try to keep up with my clients and track them and see how things are going, you know, after they made their second appointment, want to see when their next appointment is and did they actually come back in? If not, send them, you know, a message or call them and say, hey, you missed your appointment. We'd love for you to come back in to check on you to make sure everything is okay. Okay. But that's like our job as Lincolns. That's why it's important for us to be out in the community because we lose a lot of people to care um, because of barriers. Mm -hmm. Like I said, homelessness, substance abuse. Um, and that's why we have to work with other community organizations because those community organizations they link patients as well. They find them and they refer them to us as well. So it's a collaborative okay, effort. Okay, great. And it would have to be um, with something uh, with the condition or disease of this magnitude. So you, you mentioned about um, homeless and or form, formerly homeless. You mentioned um, other groups. What about mental illness? Do you ever have patients that are struggling with mental illness that also may be trying to manage um, a HIV or AIDS diagnosis? Yes, mental illness is um, another population of clients with HIV that we assist with. And again, we would have to link them with someone who works with their mental illness issue. And again, they will be very hard to link because sometimes you have to do a lot of coaching um, to keep them coming back to fight with the other struggles they have going on. I can imagine. So really the issue with that gap in care for people is all the other barriers that stop them from coming in. So, oh, so you mean like, for instance, once you all, once they get on care, you think it's not so much the fact that they're, they're receiving the care for their disease, but trying to juggle everything else that comes with life that actually makes it harder. Sometimes I believe so. Um, and then sometimes people are just straight in denial. Um, we have clients who we test positive, newly positive, and then we're letting them know. And they're like, okay. And then you're wondering if you're going to hear from them, if you check on them again. And next thing you know, you're not getting a reply. You're not getting a response. They're not calling you back. So it's many different factors, but as much as you can, you would want to try to find out what you can assist with. I just can't imagine going, and, and I know what happens. I know there's a, a shock factor, right? But I just couldn't imagine going to get tested mm -hmm. for something like, you know, HIV or AIDS and being told there's a positive. And then it's like, okay, or no, it's not. That must be wrong. And then, you know, of course, having you all tested again, like how, how does that affect you as the, you know, as the specialist that's working with this individual and then essentially, I guess, losing them to follow up is what, what we call in, in nursing. How, I just can't imagine how that would make you feel. Um, for me, it makes me want to try harder 
to do more attempts. Like I have a client right now who I believe he didn't come in just because he was scared. Um, and you're telling them, you know, we get you in, we take your medications, you come to your appointments, we can lower your viral load, we can uh, move up your CD4 account and eventually make you undetectable. But for some reason, uh, clients still hear HIV and they think a death sentence. Right. And that also goes to that stigma, right? With having HIV Mm -hmm. AIDS, it's okay, I'm going to die. I can't have a relationship. You know, I can't live a life you know, a full life again anymore. And it's how do we move the needle away from that? Because you see, like I see commercials all the time from, you know, health departments or just PSAs, public service announcements, where it's like you take this medication Mm -hmm. and you go to the doctor and, and, you know, they're showing people that are healthy and happy and dating and, and not to say you should never be concerned about the risk of transmission because you should, but how Mm -hmm. do we, you know, if the commercials are not enough and the and the PSAs are not enough, how do you get people to understand that there is life after diagnosis? Um, it's just excuse me, just like you said, we have to really individually try to fight against the stigma. Um, let people know that folks are thriving. Like they see Maddie Johnson, they say, Oh, Maddie Johnson doesn't have HIV no more. No, that's not the case. He's probably taking his medications like he should. He's probably going to his appointments like he should. Um, he's probably now undetectable, which means he's untransmittable. And you can have that same life. You can thrive as well. It's people around us every day that have HIV and we don't know it. I love that, that you said, because I know a lot of times people think about Magic Johnson and they say, oh, he's got the money. He just, you know, there's a cure for it and he just paid for the cure. But us common folk, we can't we can't do it. But you're, you're right. Yes, he probably is in a better position to be able to take his medication and, and go to his appointments, but undetectable means untransmittable. And I think that if the listeners don't get anything else today, aside from the fact that everybody needs to know their status, that you can live after a diagnosis of HIV AIDS and you can, with proper care and management, become undetectable, which means you're untransmittable. So I think that's We've come a long way in the last 30 years when it comes mm-hmm. to HIV um, um, care and management. Um, so let's talk about, because I'm really, really concerned with the care that um, minority and marginalized groups of people get, especially when it comes to diseases mm-hmm. like this. So I want you to talk a little bit about um Minority groups, so we're talking about black and brown people, and then also the LGBTQIA plus community and your experience with these populations and also um, with AIDS and HIV in these populations. Right. So with the LGBTQIA plus community, um, we are still in a place where I feel everyone has not... um, accepted that this community is here and when you're working in the hiv field you're going to encounter all types of people from all types of walks of life and you have to be able to set aside your personal feelings and beliefs to assist this person with whatever they need um i believe everybody should be afforded quality health care so it doesn't matter what community they're from what race they are what their religion is, they all should be afforded quality health care if you are the health care provider, their nurse, their linkage, their case management, 
the front desk person, the person who answers you the phone. You about to have me shout amen. <laughs> <laughs> you said everybody from the janitor all the way up, which is, which to, for people that work in health and public health, it seems like it just, it should be common sense. But you're so right. There are so many providers. Like I, I used to work in endocrinology clinics. So I've had patients before that were transitioning from, you know, either male to female or female mm-hmm. to male that would have, you know, on any given day, they still have their organs they were born with, but then they may also be developing breasts. And I would have physicians that were like, I didn't go to school for this. But it's like, you're, you're right. If you're going to work in areas where you're going to see things like that, especially you know, when we're dealing with people that have HIV, you can't, there's, you can have your standards, but you have to be able to mm-hmm. set aside, like you said, those personal beliefs and just care for that person, regardless of who they sleep with. Because ultimately that's what it normally boils down to. Right. I mean, it's like we said in the beginning, you're looking at them as, a, as whole a whole person. So because they're a part of a community that you may not be a part of, you feel like they shouldn't get care? No, that's not right. Um, You wouldn't want someone to stop you from getting the care because of your religious belief or because of your race or because you're heterosexual. I don't know how we can change that, though. I think that would be so much, you know, it's already been difficult addressing the stigma that comes with, with HIV, but then also addressing and and i guess what we're talking about would be homophobia and healthcare, right uh, mm-hmm, you know yeah. i wouldn't even know where to begin except just for everybody to be more self-aware and i think that you know i try to be very aware of my biases and i think that if we can just mm-hmm. actually admit to those thoughts that we're thinking or the things that we say only to our closest friends in our inner inner circle um, then we can begin to make changes to to say, you know, why do I feel this way? Or, you know, why do I think these things or have these thoughts toward this group of people? But I, I think it's very unfortunate um, when, and I don't have any example to provide with someone that has HIV, but maybe you do. But I think it's very unfortunate when I'm going down my social media feed and I see stories like, oh, a young African-American um, woman went to the doctor complaining of shortness of breath. Yes, she happened to be overweight. And the doctor was like, oh, you need to lose weight. And then less than 48 hours, she dies of a massive heart attack or pulmonary embolism or something like that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. when are we as healthcare providers going to start looking at the person and not looking at who they are and what they do and how they live and just start treating that person? And I'm, I'm not even sure where we even start with that. Right. And it's the same with other marginalized groups. Um, like I said, you have homophobia in healthcare, but then with other minorities, um, because they don't have insurance and things are often treated a certain way because they can't afford care, they're pushed to the back. Um, I feel like it does start with the individual. I know what one of my previous jobs, we did a training about um, different marginalized groups and you know how to work in healthcare and work with them and I remember so many people so many uh, providers were so I guess bothered by it and I didn't understand I was like how are you in this field you don't want to work with these people it makes no sense 
like what type of doctor did you become and and what who did you think your patients were going to be that i mean it's, it makes a lot of right. sense unless you become you know maybe a plastic surgeon and and these days a lot of people actually can afford different types of plastic surgery but but i i completely understand where you where you're coming from you know if you're going to be a primary care doctor chances are when you start out it's not going to be in private practice it's probably going to be in a low income clinic somewhere until you um, you know, pay off your student loans or, or get your feet wet and to get enough experience to to kind of branch out on your own. So it's I think that's right. Those right. trainings are um, are are very much needed in order to just create that awareness. Um, and I've even seen mm-hmm. again, this is not a, an example using someone with HIV, but I know there are a lot of organizations now. A lot of black women I know are starting these businesses where they go and be the quote unquote token black woman in the organization. And they provide these trainings on um, kind of race in the uh, workplace. And so I know one personally, and she's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I tell them they can ask me anything. They want to touch my hair. If they want to, you know, ask me questions about what it's like to be black or what does it mean when we say this or that. And at first I thought, well, how offensive is that? But then actually, when you think about it, it's really the only way that people that don't look like you and can't identify with you are, are really going to be able to understand. Uh, and so having those right. type of trainings where you bring someone in that may be a member of the LGBTQIA plus community and have them, you know, right. sit down and talk to you, tell you about their experiences, who they are. You'd be really surprised. Yeah. I remember. Um, so I did two trainings where that community and the first training I did um, that we had a transgender person come in and talk to us. And I thought it was great because that is who was going to be calling us when they need help. So that is who we need to be talking to. So we can understand how can we better serve that community of people and not make them feel like we don't want to help um, to not push our beliefs and feelings off on them, but to just get them assistance because it, it has gotten to a point where um, you see people only ask for a certain type of provider. I only want a black doctor. Um, I only want a gay male doctor. You know, just different things like that so that they can feel comfortable. Right, right. And I think you made a great point um, talking about the transgender individual that did, did the training. It, it's because you're right. That's You're going to encounter those type of individuals So who better than to ask? And, and, you know, when I was an endocrinology nurse, I would just simply ask. And it took me, I mean, I didn't know this right away. Of course, I was, you know, a little timid and standing off into the corner, not really knowing what to expect until one of the other nurses said, just Mm -hmm. ask them what they want. And so I would say, how would you like for me to, how would you like for me to refer to you? You want yes, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. And it once you just realize this is a person you're talking to, they may, you know, look differently or think differently or go by something, but you just ask them, you know, how they want to be addressed and they'll let you know. So I think that that is the best idea for a, a training and not just for individuals that are in the LGBT um, plus community, but in any type of community where, you know, you're going into that community, you're going to help this this whatever population you want to get to know that population mm-hmm. so you need to invite a representative from that community in to talk to you and to potentially um, train your staff on how to best serve them right so that that's a great point 
um, right in regards to what you were saying about how to address someone um i don't know if you've noticed or anyone else who's listening noticed but in public health we have moved to um not just asking your first name and last name but also asking your That's preferred pronouns right. I don't want to call you he if you go by right. he. <laughs> I'm seeing that a lot now. I'm seeing it in signatures. Um, email signatures, you'll mm-hmm. see the pronoun. Uh, and so for my my listeners that are not um, aware of what we're discussing, so now um, people aren't just he or she anymore. Some people are, are wanting to identify by other genders. And so I know um, I've seen something at a conference. There were buttons on a table like you could pick up your pronoun and the young lady that was behind the counter, hers was mm-hmm. Z, Zer something. And I said, well, what is that? And she explained what it meant. But there are a lot of pronouns now that individuals identify with. I even, I went to a training when we talked about this um, a couple of years ago and was told, because I was in middle management and was told that this particular manager comes in every morning sends an email out to his staff and says, good morning, everybody. You know, how you doing? What do you want? What are we identifying with today? And the reason that he did that is because there are some individuals that are gender fluid. And so I learned that gender fluid right. means I may identify as a woman today, but I may want to identify as a man tomorrow. So my pronouns are going to be different um, depending on the day. So that's, that's a right. very good point to bring up as well. This is just this conversation here. I could talk about this conversation all day, but I don't want to make the episode too terribly long. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about specifically um, today in this discussion that we have not talked about, LaPortia? Um, I want to talk a little bit about transmission of HIV um, I feel as much as we put it out there, I still feel like people don't understand. Um, personally, when I accepted my position now, um, people came to me and was like, well, I hope you protect yourself and I hope they give you a mask and a glove and a suit. And I was like, well, they don't have Ebola. <laughs> <laughs> they have HIV. I don't know why I would oh need a mask. <laughs> you know, um, so... I wanted to definitely talk about transmission. I think some people still think you can get HIV or AIDS from like touching the doorknob of somebody else that has HIV AIDS. Yes. Um, I don't know. Your tears, your sweat. Those are not ways you can get HIV. Um, if somebody coughs, you're not going to get HIV that way. Um, somebody touches you with HIV, you're not going to get HIV. Um, you can only get HIV through sharing needles, mm. condomless sexual intercourse, or mother to baby. Okay, so say those again for me so you I can, can make sure you say. So you can only get HIV okay. transmission through sharing, sharing needles. needles, condomless sexual Having intercourse. Sex without a condom, okay. Right. Um, or mother, mother to, to child. child. Like through, through um, breastfeeding or through delivery? Okay. Yes. Um, so you're not going to get it through vomit. You're not going to get it through feces, all things that people think um, are ways you can get it. There's only those three ways to transmit HIV. That's good stuff. So you can't get it from kissing. You're not going to get it from somebody in the room that has it that's coughing on you and, and, and you feel the droplets come on you. You're not going to get it that way. 
no. You just somebody coughing on you, just ask them to cover their mouth. <laughs> Which they should be doing anyway. Okay. Right. So we don't know anything else. Uh, we know the way to uh, transmit HIV and AIDS. We know how to reduce the transmission. We learned about um, the drugs PrEP and PEP today. Um, and in the spirit of HIV uh, or World AIDS Day, how can people get tested? So you're based in Atlanta, Georgia, correct? Yes, I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so again, the organization I'm with is AIDS Healthcare Foundation. You can go online to ahf.org um, and you can see where we may have some places in your area. I know that we have AHS. You're I'm in, in Austin, Texas, yes. right? Okay, so we have Dallas in Houston, if I'm okay. not mistaken, um, in Texas. Now, if they don't, but I'm sorry, if they don't have um, a healthcare foundation close to them, um, then like where would they? Where should they go if they want to get tested for HIV/AIDS? Would that be the local health department? You can go to the local health department. Um, you can go to different um, pharmacies like Walgreens. They test. There may be a charge. Um, but they test. Um, of course, you can go to your provider. If you hear about like by being World AIDS Day, I'm sure a lot of people have did a lot of testing events. A lot of people are probably doing testing events this entire okay. week. And then also, what is the test? So I know it's going to be blood that's drawn, right? So if you're doing a rapid test, it's just a prick of the okay, finger. Rapid, that means you get the results that day? Right. You get it like oh, in wow. minutes. Okay. Now, is that reliable? Yes, it is reliable because of the, um, so I don't want to okay. get too technical. I don't want to lose anybody. <laughs> but um, the test that they usually do rapidly, it allows you to find the antibodies and antigens in your blood within 14 days. And then if I got the blood draw, how long would I expect to get results back from that? The blood draw, I think it all depends on the provider because um, some people, you know, they send their That's labs true. out and that takes time. But if you're going to the provider, we can do everything right there. You may know like within a week or so. But if you're concerned you did a rapid testing and say that you got a negative, um, you, I would recommend just getting tested again, not like the next day, right. but maybe in the next couple of weeks or so. Okay. Yes. All righty. Great. So I talked to you a little bit about this, um, about the interview. We're going to ask you about the path. And so the path is something that I coined, which means partnering to achieve total health. So I would like to ask you, LaPortia La, La, La Frazier of the World AIDS Foundation. No, I said that wrong, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, okay. Of the, is it um, AIDS Healthcare Foundation? What would put society yes. on the right path to bring about real change in this area? Um, I feel like we need everybody from every group joined together. We need positive and negative people joined together. 
We need cisgender and transgender joined together. Um, we need gay and lesbians joined together with hetero. We need minorities joined together with other minorities. We need the majority joined together with the minority. This is going to take like a collective effort of all wow. groups. Wow, I love that. I love that. So cisgender with transgender. Um, what did you say? Hetero with homo. <laughs> yeah, hetero, right. gay, lesbian, the minority. Yeah, majority, the majority, minority. That's so true. And I think a lot of times we kind of segment ourselves, you know, and when we put ourselves in silos, we don't get anything done that way. And you're right. Mm -hmm. This is the, the one thing about HIV and AIDS. It doesn't just hit one population. Of course, you know, the outcomes are, are probably higher um, in communities of color and in some of these marginalized groups that we've talked about on the show today, but it still targets everyone. And you're right. I think it's going to be up to everybody to band together um, for a collective effort. Wow. This has been great. LaPorsche, I just want to thank you so much for being our very first guest on the Member Health Academy podcast. Please let the listeners, <laughs> let the listeners know where they can find you um, on social media. Um, you can find me on social media on Facebook, uh, LaPorsche Frazier, or you can find me on Instagram at underscore liberated. liberated on Instagram and LaPorsche Frazier on Facebook. Again, the website is the AIDS Health Foundation. That's AIDS. Yes, so it's just AHF.org. Awesome. Thank you so much, LaPorsche. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. Thank that you. That concludes our episode for today. Please tune in next time. Have a great evening.